Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. In order to pull this off, you have to have a very, very deep expertise, experience, and connections into several major constituencies in the industry. There's an old saying in business, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And that still rings true for so many entrepreneurs. Without being able to tie all those together, understanding how they each work and and how they benefit each other, I think it'd be very, very difficult to do this. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. Building a thriving business certainly has a lot to do with hard work, but equally important is having a strong network and leveraging relationships. Today's guest has gathered incredible insights and connections in his long career to build a platform that facilitates these critical partnerships. Today, we get to sit down with Chad Cardenas, who is founder and CEO of The Syndicate Group. The Syndicate Group is pioneering a new evolution of venture capital investing, helping startups scale faster by organizing exclusive investment access for strategics who commit capital and support a company's go-to-market strategy. With 25 years experience in the enterprise technology sector, Chad maintains a wealth of experience in sales, leadership, business transformation, innovation, distribution channels, investing, and go-to-market strategies. He previously co-founded Trace3, where he served as president and chief innovation officer, studying macro trends and their effects on the IT industry. He helped build the tech reseller and integrator to 400 people and over 500 million in revenue before a private equity event in 2017. The Syndicate Group was born out of these experiences based on the realization that startup founders need more than just capital. They need partners who can deliver economies of scale by selling or buying the startup's products and services. The Syndicate Group aggregates those partners and gives them skin in the game with pre-IPO investment access. The company's investment portfolio includes high flyers such as AppDynamics, CrowdStrike, Nutanix, Abnormal Security, and Cohesity, where Chad played a key role in driving an aggregate market value of over $30 billion. Let's enter the arena with Chad Cardness. My thinking on this whole model really began in the latter years of helping to run Trace3. Trace3 was a, a technology integrator reseller business. And we were heavily focused on emerging tech as a strategic differentiator. So we basically believed if we could find the next great enterprise tech products and services and companies, be early or even first to market with those those products, 
then it would set us apart in the industry. And it did. That model worked very well, but I started to see some gaps. And in particular, you know, we would be partnered up with a company selling their product from like a, a seed or series A, you know, stage of growth. We'd watch them become these bigger brand names in the industry and then eventually have a big exit via an IPO or an acquisition or in some cases even both. And so I personally bought the shares of a lot of these companies the day they IPO'd. And every time I did that, I used to think to myself, wow, you know, it would have been great if I had access to invest in these companies. Years ago, I've been intimately familiar with these companies for two, three, four, five years. And if I had, I probably would have paid closer attention to their go-to-market efforts and pushed even harder in the field to sell the product and help them become successful. So we started putting together special purpose vehicles to invest in the next crop of emerging tech companies whose products we were bringing to market. That's when CrowdStrike and AppDynamics and some of these other great companies came into play. Everybody loved that model. So when we had the private equity event in 17, I left to start TSG as basically, you know, a a venture firm, but that does not invest out of a fund and instead aggregates these strategics for the startups. You know, the best ideas are so simple. And I think this falls into that category. You know, when you're uh, the CEO and you get early funding, there's so many things to do. Sales are obviously incredibly important and paramount in getting to the market. What's my life like if I just take a check from a VC versus bringing your syndicate approach into the deal? How is my life kind of different as the CEO of that company? Yeah, that's a great question. And and to be clear, you know, we don't provide lead capital for most of these companies, right? Yeah, you're doing this in combination many times with a established venture fund or whatever. That's right, yeah. So we we co-invest with a lot of these big firms. There's usually you know, some level of corporate venture involved as well. And I think we play kind of nicely you know, in, in our little space within the mix. But companies, especially enterprise tech companies these days, I think I think this market is more than ever just hyper competitive. You have to grow incredibly fast to stay ahead of the competition. And if you don't, then you won't survive. It's that simple. So these enterprise companies, in order to get to market faster, to achieve those economies of scale, at some point, they have to plug into an ecosystem or a network of distributors, resellers, integrators, basically folks that have their own customer reach, customer base, and and then they can plug into those those customers. So for a startup that's working with us as opposed to not, we essentially help them identify and onboard those ecosystem relationships, accelerate those relationships, and then lock in the mind share and focus of those partners by converting them into investors. We capture that mind share and focus all the way through exit. Yeah, the mind share and focus, that phrase is so key because I'm imagining the vendors that I use in my company and I don't give it much thought for better or, or worse, but if I had a s- equity stake, it'd be at the on the tip of my tongue every day, like, hey, how are these guys going to market? How's their customer service? How are they doing? You'd be rooting for them and you'd be critical, but in a good way, of how they're executing on their strategy, right? For sure. I mean, it really does drive behavior. When you bring somebody into the family, like that, and you give them a piece of the the longer term outcome, it it really drives behavior. 
Yeah. How about like a specific example of a business that you know you've invested in? How the relationship evolves over time? Maybe you can touch on that. Yeah, I'll give you a couple different examples, and these will be on either end of the spectrum in terms of stage of growth. So. Couple specifics. Cohesity is a, a company that we've been working with for for many years now. I think we were involved in their B, C, and D rounds of funding, and the last time we invested and ran our program for them, they are they had a very established channel ecosystem. I think over three hundred partners globally, and I sat down with the CEO of the company and we just talked about what they wanted out of the program, and he basically said, "Look, we don't need at this stage we don't need." necessarily a ton of new ecosystem relationships. We don't need advice on how to build the strategy or execute on the strategy in the channel. What we want out of TSG for this time around is we want to give our existing partner ecosystem a very, very good reason, a big incentive to wake up every day and think about selling our product instead of our competitor's product. And so we did that, you know, we gave, we gave all those folks an opportunity to come in as investors and is extremely successful still to this day, one of the more successful programs that we've run. Another example on the earlier side of things is a company called grip security. We engaged with them uh, several months ago. It was kind of in between an A and a B round of funding, very, very successful SaaS security provider. And they had the beginnings of revenue, the beginnings of a go-to-market strategy. They had their first, I'd say, half a dozen channel partners uh, that, that were in the ecosystem already. And this was kind of the opposite task, if you will. So we came in to help them build out that ecosystem, make a bunch of introductions for them, and help accelerate those relationships. So we introduced them to literally hundreds of, of partners that could be of value to them in the field domestically here in the U.S. and then even international partners. And I'll give you one specific example within that mix. There's a partner, a national integrator that is famous for being able to move the needle for an early stage tech company, but they're also kind of famous for being difficult to get the mind share of. We introduced Grip to this company, to all the, to the key folks within this, this technology integration business. And within, I think it was 65 or 70 days, we made the introduction. The partner brought in a couple of their key customers to hear the GRIP story as well. One of the customers ran a POC, POV of the GRIP security platform, liked it, wound up purchasing the product, and the partner wound up signing a national reseller agreement with Grip Security all within just over basically two months. And so now they've got this flourishing relationship with this channel ecosystem partner. And as a result of that effort with Grip Security, they actually wound up revising, I think it was 90, maybe 120 days into our program with them. They actually wound up revising their revenue projections upward for the next two or three years because the channel pipeline that came with our program. Yeah, that's incredibly impressive. And again, I just go back to the thought, a dollar isn't just a dollar. When you build your cap table the right way and you're bringing value like that, you're bringing way more than money in a world where there's abundant money for the right concept. So yeah, um, really key. Completely agree. Yeah, I, th I think there used to be a time when if you were funded by you know, a VC period, then, then you've arrived. Right. But now I think it's very, very safe to say that not all capital is, is created equal. 
For sure. So sourcing your deals, I kind of look at this from an outsider looking in as a bit of a chicken and egg situation. And by that I mean, do you need to build the syndicate to attract deal flow or do you need the deal flow to attract the syndicate or is it just kind of you get the whole thing moving and it just kind of is a flywheel as you as you scale it? Yeah, that's super interesting. I've never thought about it in that context, like which needed to come first. I think we needed to have the value proposition of our syndicate, of our network, before attracting the, the quality of deal flow that we have. I think it would have been infinitely more difficult to do it the other way. And so, yeah, so we, we started that way and that worked very well. And, and so we, I think very quickly, we were able to get the founder CEO community to refer us into great companies, the VCs that we partnered with and co-invested with recommending companies and inviting us into deals. And then also a lot of our deal flow, actually initial kind of top of funnel deal flow comes from the syndicate. You know, these are companies and individuals that are living and breathing these technology problems and solutions on behalf of their clients every day. And so their input is extremely valuable. Obviously, you've got to be in the flow with companies. I would check that. You have successes already, amazing companies that that you're invested in. I would think, too, you're spending a lot of time generally just with VC funds that you work with. And I would I would think that they would carve out a portion of their deals in the right sectors where you have a lot of strengths because they would probably want you in in the cap table. And uh, I didn't think about the syndicate itself. Once people get a taste of in, investing and success, uh, they're like all in, right? Everybody's pumped up. Yes, super excited to be a part of it. And it's interesting you mentioned that about the larger institutional investors inviting us in. That was not the case in the beginning. They're like, who are these guys? Yeah, who are these guys kind of nipping at our heels, especially considering we're we're pursuing really great companies and great investment deals, right? So anytime you're in the mix with a, a great company like that, the, the leads are going to want to have as much as they can for themselves. But in very short order, they realized that if they back down their allocation by a small percentage, our small capital contribution will put their much larger investment on a better path to a more significant exit. The syndicate's unique internal networking strategies, they've got a rich pool of companies to draw from for their portfolio. But this also means they turn over a ton of rocks before they find a gem. I asked Chad how exactly they sift through this pool and what their vetting process is like. We look at a lot of companies, prob- actually probably not as many as as you might think, like not, definitely not as many as like a tier one, a lot of companies kind of get filtered a little bit before even arriving on our doorstep. We still look at a lot of companies and we put them all through a very defined series of gates with both qualitative and quantitative analyses along along the way. So we look at all the things that you would think of any investor would care about. We look at people, culture, product, technical differentiation, market fit and size, financial discipline, you know, just go down the list. And we go to great lengths to analyze each of those categories, check all the boxes. But then we also, we have an advisory board that's made up of 
current and former CXOs and CISOs and channel chiefs of large companies. They help us dig deeper into each of those categories. And then finally, this is what's very different about our diligence process than I think most other venture operations. We have this network of strategics and and we leverage them often for, for every company that we look at, both in our platform, but also with specific meetings that we'll set up with, with our strategics and the companies. And we get feedback from them and that's extremely valuable. Just to take that a step further, I would assume vetting deals kind of in your knowledge power alley are the easiest. What what areas are you particularly focused on? What industries or subsegments of of industries are you looking at? So we set out to to be kind of all things enterprise tech. So if you look at a big institutional tech investor, they typically have an enterprise portion of the portfolio and a consumer tech portion. We're all in enterprise. That's where all of our relationships and networks have been built over many, many years. That's where all the expertise is. But I'll tell you, over the last two, three years at least, it's gone more heavily into cyber specific. So enterprise is kind of all things software as a service, networking, data management, compute, cloud, all of those things. But cybersecurity has really kind of been the flow of the industry more so than those other categories. So that's been a focus of ours. And then AI is a bit of a focus, but not in the sense that we're we're looking for pure AI plays, if you will. We're looking at enterprise companies in those categories that I mentioned that are leveraging AI to somehow make their products or services better. Yeah. There's so much buzz about that. You know, there's some hype, there's some reality to me it seems like an easy bet to look for companies that are going to be benefited by that tailwind because it's obviously a hit us like a freight train and is certainly yes. here to stay. I thought it was really advantageous and, and maybe a small thing that your investment in the cap table comes in as one owner. Because I was thinking, what if you had you know 20 different investors in for a small amount of money? They're all in the cap table. They're all calling the CEO you know, once a month, like, how's it going? What's the advantage of your syndicate coming into the cap table just kind of as one line item, if you will? You know, it's funny, Tom. I think that may be one of the most celebrated aspects of our model for CEOs, but also in particular for CFOs. And general counsels. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> like the, these these folks for decades have wanted to have more strategics as investors, but they've just gotten used to saying no to those people because they don't want the cap table complexity. Yeah, too much of a hassle. Yeah, it's it's expensive. It's difficult to manage. They don't want to give all those folks, you know, information rights and voting rights and all that stuff. So they've gotten used to saying no, and so. I can't tell you the number of times I've been on a first call with like a CEO, a CFO, general counsel, and they, they'll ask me multiple times in the same conversation. So this is a single investor entity that rolls up on the cap table and then they ask it in a different way. Like they, they just want to make sure because it sounds too good to be true. So yeah, and, and it's it, very interesting what winds up happening. We run our program. We bring in all these strategic channel partners and individuals. We bring in a bunch of CXOs and CISOs. And then inevitably, the CEO will say, hey, by the way, we've got these other kind of friends of the company or whoever they might be 
that have kind of raised their hand over the years and wanted to invest. We haven't let them in because it, we didn't want the cap table complexities. Can we use your program as kind of a catch-all for those folks? And of course we do. We're happy to. Chad, I wanted to ask you on the surface, it's obvious why investors are excited about what you're doing, but why do they get so excited about the deal flow? Over time, we've proven that we've been able to consistently identify some of the best, most coveted deals you know, in enterprise tech and then get access to those deals, put them on the platform for our, our investors. And then beyond that, so that that in and of itself, I think, is is highly valuable to these folks. But beyond that, I think one of the most celebrated aspects of of our program for our investors is the total freedom of choice for our members to opt in or opt out of any one investment. So they don't have to commit capital up front, be a part of a fund, and then just hope for the best. They can look at individual deals and say, I like this one or I don't like this one and invest accordingly. Yeah, you can't underestimate that. Kind of a pass the hat VC situation and uh, having that flexibility. You know, when you go into these big funds, you just don't have that and you have to take a leap of faith. But this is, you know, maximum flexibility for, you know, for opportunities where you think you can make the most impact into an investment, I would imagine, as an investor, right? That's right. As you're scaling the company, it seems from the outside looking in like a, a complex operation in many ways. Like, how difficult is it to run an operation like this behind the scenes and scale it kind of like you have? I think anybody who's done any serious special purpose vehicle investing knows that it's incredibly complex and, and complicated just from a logistics perspective. And we learned this the hard way. In the beginning, we were doing it all on spreadsheets and emails and, and it was incredibly, incredibly difficult. Just think of, think of hundreds or even thousands in our case of investors standing up a new legal entity for every deal, coordinating with a startup to create materials that then get showed to those, those investors, inviting in a unique set of folks every single time. I was going to say your lawyers might lo must love you. Oh my gosh! I mean, it's <laughs> it's a it's a heavy lift behind, or at least it used to be a heavy lift behind the scenes. So, it literally within the first twelve months of, of this business, I realized there's no way we would scale this business if we if we didn't have some sort of software platform to help us automate a lot of that back end stuff. So we had a decision to make: we either buy or build, you know, a product. We looked, we couldn't find anything that really met our needs end to end for the, the whole process of special purpose vehicle investing. So we built it from the ground up and we were very blessed to have found a world-class development team. We've been building this platform for the past five years and it's by far, it's been the biggest investment we've made in the business, but we don't have any regrets. It's very sophisticated. It automates a lot of what we do. And it provides, most importantly, it provides a very elegant user experience for the for the investors end to end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's uh, I I'm sure it was a huge decision internally to go for that, but at the end of the day, it's kind of table stakes now, right? You're gonna there's no way that you could manage the business effectively and you know service your clients or the syndicate without that kind of technology and that investment, and that's going to set you up for the next five or ten years, right? That's right. We, we would not have the business we have today without that platform. What are kind of the potentially broader impacts of the model, kind of just beyond what you're focused on right now? Yeah, I think there's, there's been a steady trend for the last several years that we've seen in venture 
away from more traditional capital sources and more toward strategic capital. And it's not it's not a dramatic shift, but it is, if you look closely, it's been happening for, for a few years. And when I say strategic capital, I, I'm referring to like traditional VC firms that are offering more value-added services beyond just capital, trying to kind of make that shift themselves. Corporate venture groups playing a larger role. There's some CXO and CISO investor groups that are popping up. And then, of course, what we do with the channel. And so I like to think that what we're doing is playing some role in accelerating that trend overall. Is anybody else doing this? I mean, obviously, you mentioned a few things that are similar, but is anybody kind of doing what you're doing? Or, I mean, look, you got to have a seven year head start, and creating that critical mass is huge. But what do you see out there? Nobody else is really doing what we're doing, and certainly not at this scale. I don't know if I should be excited about that or worried about that, but (laughs) I think about that a lot and I pay very close attention to what other firms are doing or trying to do. I think what we're doing, it's incredibly hard work, of course, but more importantly, I think the barrier to entry really is around the fact that you have to have a very, very deep expertise, experience, and connections into several major constituencies in the industry. So in order to pull this off, you really have to have that that depth in the VC community, in the startup and entrepreneur communities, the channel industry, and the CXO, CISO communities. And without being able to tie all those together, understanding how they each work and, and how they benefit each other, I think it'd be very, very difficult to do this. Speaking of difficult, so you were around before COVID for a few years. Obviously, that hit total roller coaster. Then we go into unprecedented rise in rates and inflation and war in Europe and everything else that's going on, maybe temporary retrenchment and valuations and VC activity in certain areas. How has all of that impacted you? And when you're a quality company looking to raise money in a choppy environment, why is the syndicate group even more important to you? Yeah, the the last two years have been a very, very interesting time for us. I mean, let's be honest, it's been a brutal time for for most startups and a lot of VCs. Average startups and a lot of traditional VCs are struggling. And I think a lot of them, they just won't make the make it out of this alive. It's it's that bad. Having said that, the demand for these products is only increasing if that's not decreasing, especially in in areas of cybersecurity. So for us, it's been a good thing, honestly. Like the, the best companies are even easier to spot right now. They're still hiring, they're growing revenue, they're raising rounds. And so what that's created is this environment of, of access. It's kind of a game of access right now because you've got, a, you've got fewer companies that are still rising to the top and growing and raising rounds. And so a lot of folks want to invest in those companies And so these companies, they really have their pick of the venture litter right now. And the capital sources that offer the most strategic value are being, you know, granted access to invest. And along with that, I think because of that, these companies have also accelerated that shift to more strategic capital because they can still get capital from a big brand name lead source but then they want a lot to come from strategic sources as well. Well, after a blow-off top in 2021, absolutely nothing in 22. 
and really not a lot in the first half of 23. The IPO window is kind of open, which is cool. That speaks to potential liquidity events down the road. You had like Arm and Instacart and a couple others, uh, another one priced today. But any kind of companies that are public company quality that might have an IPO on the horizon that you can share with us? Yeah, um, it's been exciting. I've been paying close attention to the, the recent activity because it's been a long time coming. Right now, there's roughly 20% of our portfolio that has either been IPO ready since, I'd say, the second half of, of 22 or will be in the next 12 months. These are very strong, established businesses that will weather the storm, no problem. I'll give you an example, Cohesity. You know, I mentioned it earlier. Amazing company, proven leadership. They're on just a, an incredible trajectory. They actually filed in, I think, in December of 21 for a planned IPO in the spring of 22, which is right when everything took a turn for the worst. So it's just kind of a waiting game for them, and, and they'll be very, very well positioned when the market returns. When you look five years down the road, Chad, are there any different paths that you're considering for the company that are currently not in your core? You're obviously going to stick to your knitting and keep doing what you're doing, but are there other kind of tangential areas that you could get in to make a difference and, and pursue to create value? Yeah, I think so. Of course, we'll continue to scale the business. There's, there's a lot of room for that. But beyond that, Recently, we've been starting to explore how we can enable other entities, uh, other individuals even, to create their own adaptation, if you will, of this model by leveraging a version of our software. What we're doing is highly valuable within our specific space, but there's no reason why this model can't be applied to consumer tech or the healthcare industry or automotive or financial, just go down the list, really any industry or any company looking to raise from a large number of strategics and streamline that process while reducing the cap table complexities could be a great fit. So I, I really think that this model, if you take out what we're focused on, this model is really just scratching the surface in terms of what we could do. Syndicate Group is transforming VC investing by embracing the mantra, if you can't find it, make it. By developing exclusive software, they've designed a platform that produces countless opportunities for partnerships between strategic investors and startups, and a platform that could revolutionize collaboration in the venture capital sector. At Welcome to the Arena, we're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, Subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon-to-be public companies. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank our guest, Chad Carnes for joining me on the show today. The Syndicate Group has an amazing platform connecting important strategic investors with companies where they can really help move the needle and create value. It's such a simple concept, and Chad's making it happen. This is Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. 
All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.